So the question is, why Compassion Sunday? I want to speak to that. As I speak to that, I want to welcome the folks that are listening in our sanctuary this morning. We are streaming the message part into the sanctuary in our traditional service. So welcome all you folks that are listening there. I want to read Psalm 103 to you, verses 11 through 15. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our heavenly father is compassionate and he wants us to live our lives in a way that reflect who he is. Now, I believe we all can confess that we don't always get that right. We don't always live our lives in a way that brings him glory. That's why a few minutes ago, we prayed a prayer of confession, asking God to forgive us and to make us right with him. And today we have a chance to get it right. It was to talk about our partnership with Compassion International. Well, I, I believe in compassion because our Heavenly Father is compassionate. I believe in the ministry of Compassion International because Lynn and I have seen their work close up. About three, four years ago, we were invited to take a compassion trip to Kenya. It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And this is a picture I took from my phone, believe it or not. Uh, it's, it's an amazing place with, with, with fantastic, loving people as well. And Compassion's goal that we saw firsthand in Kenya is to take a child living in extreme poverty uh, and meet their needs. Kids, children from all over the world and meet their physical needs, their educational needs, and their emotional needs. Now, why is that important? Because looking at just real numbers this morning, there are 356 million children living in extreme poverty in the world. 356 million children living in extreme poverty, surviving as a family on less than $2 a day. $2 a day. Now, there are still 11 million children in the U.S. living below the poverty line. And these are the most vulnerable people in the world with physical, educational, and emotional needs. And while that's all wonderful, the most important reason that I believe in partnership with compassion is because they also seek to meet the spiritual needs of these children. They seek to tell these children about Jesus Christ and build their life on a foundation of faith. And I believe that's a holistic approach to child development. It's what we're striving to do here in this church to help our children with their education, with their physical needs, their emotional needs, and most of all, their spiritual needs. Now, Lynn and I sponsor three children through Compassion, and it's a $38 a month investment per child that we make, and that, that money pays for that child's school tuition. It allows that child to purchase a school uniform. It provides nutritious meals, immediate medical care, new clothing, a pair of shoes that aren't broken, and they're taught social skills, and they're taught a, a, a vocation 
that will generate income for them as they grow older. And when they graduate from high school, they graduate from compassion. And the goal is, and it's happening all over the world, that these children become biblically grounded, self-sufficient adults whose life has been transformed, whose life is an example of what it means to serve someone in the name of Jesus. And one of the blessings Lynn and I had in Kenya was to hear the testimonies of young adults who had been in the Compassion Program. And they were the leaders in their communities. They were the leaders in their churches. And they were trying to serve the Lord by changing the world. Now, one of the other blessings in Kenya was that Lynn and I got to meet our first compassionate child, our first compassion child that we sponsored named Chelsea. And she was just a baby. This is Chelsea's mom in the house they lived in. And this is Chelsea's family. And you'll see uh, her mom holding Chelsea because she was very attached to her mom. And we got to meet the family. We visited in their home. Uh, and it was quite a while before the mom uh, would, would really begin to open up to us and tell her story. She had several kids, most of them older. And she'd always hoped and prayed that her children could be sponsored by compassion. But for various reasons, it hadn't happened. And as she began to talk and share her story, it got real personal. And it's a difficult story to share with you, but it's one you need to hear. It came a time in her, in her family that there wasn't enough food for her children. And so she went to the market and began to beg for food. And she found a gentleman who ran a particular produce stand. She explained her situation and said if he would give her family some food, that she would come back and pay him when she could sell some of her goods at the market. But the man said no. And he told her that he would give her food if she would sleep with him. She said no and left and went back to her hungry children. That broke her heart. So much that she went back to the man and agreed to his terms. And she got plenty of food. Now, she shared her stories, her story with tears coming down her cheek to Lynn and I. She was full of shame for what she had done. But she also had begun to experience the grace of God and the mercy of God in her life because a year and a half later, the child that was born when she bartered her body was Chelsea. And now here, Lynn and I are sitting there in her very small one-room house, and we're her sponsors. And now she has enough food to feed her family. And, and, and we get to be a part of Chelsea's life. Remember, in the Old Testament, Joseph said this, what the enemy meant for harm, God turned to good. What the enemy meant for harm, God turned to good. Now, we're helping change Chelsea's life and her family, but it's also changing Lynn and I's life as we partner with this family and help bring them out of poverty. And our prayer and our purpose for helping Chelsea, here's Chelsea today, is that she'll never be put in a place where she needs to barter her body for food. Now, I don't know about you, but that's certainly my goal for my children it's certainly my goal for my grandchildren. It's my goal for your children. And it's my goal for all of God's children, that they will not be in a place where they have to do that. 
And I believe this story that Lynn and I experience right now uh, in Kenya is an everyday occurrence all over the world. It's one of the reasons that Mount Hor sponsors with this ministry. Three years ago, this congregation on a Compassion Sunday sponsored 800 children. Isn't that amazing? Give, give, give the Lord a hand for that. 800 children with stories very much like Chelsea and her family. Thank you for being a generous church. Now, that doesn't include all the other children that this church has sponsored through the various concerts we've had here at Mount Horb just this past Thursday with We the Kingdom, and they had another children's ministry that they were working with, partnering with. And, and I saw many of you also sponsor children that night. Lives being changed. Now, three years ago, we had this compassion experience here, and we had some trailers out in the parking lot where you could go in and, and, and experience uh, life in Kenya. And there was a video where there was a little boy from Kenya whose life was out of control. He was arrested and sent to prison as a nine-year-old. And God stepped in and used the work of compassion to change this young boy's life. Well, that young boy has now grown into a man and he's going to share his story with us today, not on video, but in person. So will you welcome Jay Biro from Nairobi, Kenya, as he comes and shares his story. Jay, welcome, brother. God bless you, man. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. How are you all doing? We're good? You know, I get, I get this. A lot of people tell me that my accent is more like a New York accent. You guys think that that's the case? I think mine is better, right? Anyway, as you've heard, I'm, I'm Jane Biro, and I'm, I was born and raised in a place called Mathare, all the way in Nairobi, Kenya. And I know most of the time when we hear one of the poorest places in the world, we think, oh, I've heard this story a lot. But really, where I was born, Mathare is one of the poorest places that we have in the world. It's so poor such that children born out of my community, the boys would automatically be expected to be thieves, and girls would automatically be expected to be prostitutes. They used to say something that they used to say about Jesus, that nothing good can come out of my community. One of the hardest things for me was uh, going outside to play, and, well, that was fun part, going outside to play soccer because that's the game that we love, and we'd be excited to play soccer, and we are happy. And one thing about soccer is not nothing close to the American football. It's not where you have to go and, you know, huddle up and then wait and plan for the next game. No, no, you have to run all through. And that means you get tired, you get hungry. And after that, we'd be running home, expecting to find something to eat in the house. And every child is innocent. All the kids don't even know. All the kids think that we are doing well and they are expecting to find something. But the saddest part for me is to step into a room because you used to stay in a 10 by 10 room. But you step into that room expecting to find something to eat, only to walk into a cold room, which was an indication that nothing had been cooked. And then my mom would have to say the hardest words that a mom or a father should tell their kids. And that is, I'm sorry, we don't have anything to eat. And so we'd go to bed hungry. That means in the morning there's nothing because we didn't have anything. And the day starts like that, and it goes on and on. And the next door neighbors... It happens. It's not, it wasn't unique to my family. It was unique to our families. And one of those nights, you'd be sleeping hungry and probably your next-door neighbor, they were cooking something. 
and the walls of our house were made out of dirt, so you can even hear any whisper. So imagine sleeping hungry, and the next door neighbor, they're cooking, and you don't have anything to eat. That was me. That was, that's why it was the hardest part for me. But growing up, my mom was trying to get us out of extreme poverty. We were born into the cycle of poverty, and she was trying everything possible, but what could she do? She didn't go to school. She wasn't married. She didn't have a job. And so it was a struggle. And for me, being that I was like hungry and I'm, I love to eat, as you can see, I'm not a small boy. But loving to eat and being born in poverty, they don't go together. And so desperation kicked in. And my desperation was, what do I do next? I started looking for a way to feed myself. And the best way to do was to go to the streets of Nairobi. I went to the streets of Nairobi begging for food and money, anything that I could find that I can either buy food or get food. And so I was begging. We are called in Kenya, we are called uh, street boys, but it's more homeless. And so anytime I would find something to eat, I would actually not just have all by myself. I would take home and my family would feed on that. I had like my brothers and my cousins and my aunts were waiting for me to go home and take whatever I find in the streets for them to eat. So if I found something, they were so happy and excited. But the days that I didn't find anything, it'll all be sad that an eight-year-old boy was not able to feed us. They were not mad at me. They were mad at the fact that I didn't find anything. And so when that happens over and over again, when I was coming home and I didn't find anything, I thought to myself, I don't want to disappoint them anymore. And so what did I do? I started stealing and I became a thief. And you know what are the dangers of stealing, especially in Kenya? It doesn't matter how old you are. There's what we call the mob justice. Whenever you steal and you're running, they get a hold of you. They hit you with any, any, any sharp object, whether a stone, anything that they can find. The moment you're down and you're weak, they put a tie around your neck and they burn you to death. I'm talking about something that I've seen my next door neighbor go through, my classmates going through who are not able to continue to be in school. Even my older brother was a thief and he was stoned one day and they almost burned him. But thank God the police stopped that. After all this, my mom felt as though that she was a failure and she wanted to take her life. She attempted suicide. To make it worse for me, even though I wasn't killed, I was arrested and I went to prison at the age of nine. That's my darkest moment in life. Entering prison, finding other kids who have been in and out. And that was their life. And I thought to myself, this is not the life that I want. You know what I did? I started questioning God. Does he really exist? How comes that he's letting me be poor? How comes that he, was, he allowed me to be born in that family? I started asking myself so many questions. And I wanted to get out of prison. But I didn't know how because we didn't have money to pay. Because you had to bribe your way out. I didn't, we didn't have any money. That's why I was stealing in the first place. The only thing that I knew I could do was talk to God. I was not a believer. But one thing about Nairobi, if you walk to the streets of Nairobi, you'll always find a preacher in the streets of Nairobi preaching and they are shouting at the loud of their voice. And to be honest with you, sometimes they are annoying. That's just the truth. But what do, are they doing? They are sharing the word of God. And the Bible says that the word of God is sharp, than any two-edged sword. 
So even when I didn't even care, even when they were annoying, at least there's one thing that I had over and over, and that is Jesus loves you. God loves you no matter what. And so when I was in prison, I remember those who was at here, God loved me. That preacher said, at least I can remember that. I may not remember everything else they said, but I know that God loves me. So I knelt down in prison and I called to this God and I'm like, if you really love me, if you really exist, I only have two things in my list. Please take me out of this prison. And the second thing, God, please take me out of poverty. One thing about God is that he's massive when he hears all our prayers and he answers them not the way we expect, but in his own ways. Because yes, I was happy because I was released from prison and I was excited going home because now I'm free. But I was only free from prison, but not free from poverty. We were still poor. I still went back to the same neighborhood, the same family, nothing had changed. And so in my mind, I'm asking, so what next? Now I'm out of prison. And most of the kids in my community, when they get out of prison, they want to change their lives. But because nothing had changed, they go back to the same cycle and they steal. And most likely, they end up back in prison or dead. So God came through in a different way. And for me, he came through a local church. It was a church in my community. We all knew about this church, that every kid that would go to that church, they were fed, they were happy. And most of, them, most of the time, they would have visitors coming over. So I happened to be one of those kids that was selected to join this church. And this church happened to work with Compassion International because Compassion works with local churches. What Compassion does, they don't go out there to put up big banners of saying, hey, we are Compassion and we're here to rescue you. No, they partner with a local church. They empower that church and that church becomes the light in that community. So I was enrolled into this program and I was happy. When you join the program, one of the most things that we really look forward for is to get a sponsor. They take a packet like the one that I have right here and they make a packet of a kid. This was me. And so this packet, they, they go back and forth. Some years down the line, that was me. And I was hoping to get a sponsor. So Monday through Friday, we go to school. On Saturday, we go to Compassion Center. And it is that moment that we wait to hear our names being called. Because if your name is called, that means you have a sponsor. So we were eagerly waiting for that moment. And we actually used to cross our fingers that they were reading out the names. And we were crossing our fingers, hoping that today is the day my name is going to be called. To be honest with you, I was one of those kids who waited for a long time to be sponsored. I was wondering why until I came over to the U.S. and I noticed when people go to the table and they are looking for children to sponsor, they go for the smallest and the cutest kids. I don't think I was one of those <laughs> because I waited. But one day, a family from California, they picked my packet and they sponsored me. I don't know what was going through their mind. I don't know if they had anything that were like, okay, are we able to do this financially or not? I don't know what, what made them decide to pick the packet. But that, what they did, saved my life. That's where I'm alive right now. When the program was over, because everything that has a beginning has an end, I was wondering what are the things that I got from the program. And there are so many things I can tell you. We got a lot of shoes and clothes, a lot of food. I'm going to emphasize the food part. And when you talk about food, I actually, when I came to the U.S., I went to, to Texas, Dallas, Texas, and uh, those guys did not do me good because they took me to a golden corral. <laughs> Coming from poverty, not having anything, and then, boom, golden corral, all you can eat. 
I almost died in there. <laughs> but three things that I got from this program. One was education. Compassion makes sure that each and every child that goes through the program, they're able to go to school. The second thing I got from the program is love. These are actual children. And so when you sponsor, we require you to write back and forth and communicate. The first time I heard the words, I love you, was from my sponsor. They meant everything to me. The third and the most important thing that compassion gave me is that compassion introduced me to Jesus. You see, the Bible says that heaven and earth will pass, but my word will remain. If you believe that that scripture is true, that heaven and earth will pass, but the word of God will always remain, then think about it. Then what's the best gift that you can give to anybody, whether poor or rich? Is nothing better than giving them the word of God. I know in this country, we love to give gifts. But if there's one gift that you can give somebody is to give them the word of God. And that's what compassion does. When you sponsor a child, it's like telling them, hey, I'm giving you the word of God without even saying it. And that to me was the best gift that my sponsor gave me. And you know, right now I'm a father. I'm a father of two little girls. One of them is called Shiloh. She's four years old. She's going to be five next month. The other one is Sage. She's three. One thing people don't realize, and I'm going to bring this to our attention, is that when somebody picked my pocket, it was just one little boy. But that little boy grew up and became a father. If somebody didn't sponsor me, I would probably have children, probably more than two. But here's the thing. Those children will be born in poverty. But because somebody picked my pocket and they sponsored me, they rescued me, my children, and my children's children from poverty. It is that powerful. This is an opportunity for you to be a minister while you're still in your own home. Because the great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. This gives you that opportunity. You know what compassion means? It's to actually feel deeply with somebody when they go up and down of life. And the best way to do that is not to tell them that you care, but to show them that you care and being there for them even when they don't ask. So I'm asking you as a church, if you sponsor, if you don't sponsor, would you make a room for one more child, just like somebody did for me? Thank you and God bless you.